Lucky you. Best 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Barkies, Sandys. Poker. Bond. James Bond. Horse racing. I'm all in. Great movies. Alfred Hitchcock. We have no script. And down the stretch they come. We're glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Let's start again. All right, Alternate Shots sports fans here. We have none other than my friend, uh, Sean McManus, who's been in the sporting world. Oh, gosh. I don't want to say, is it three or four or five decades, Sean? But it's been a number of decades. More decades than I would like to admit to, but it goes back to when I was uh, a kid. I I used to work for ABC Sports as a runner, really starting at age 11 or 12. So it's it's been a good uh, it's been a good run and a long run. And I've uh, enjoyed it very, very much along the uh, along the way. You you, I, I did a little snooping and you were there. You weren't 11 or 12, but you were 17 at the 1972 Munich Olympics. And I know that's pretty well chronicled. Just tell me what was going through your head as you watch, you know, for people that don't know this, that may be younger, your dad was really put into the Walter Cronkite chair for that Mm -hmm. whole basic, you know, event that happened during, you know, Mm -hmm. Palestinians taking on the, uh, the team from uh, the Israelis and, and, and the, disaster that happened there, the sadness that happened there. But what did you see from your father? And did you learn anything from him as you go through your career? Uh, You know, it's interesting. He um, he was a journalist first and a sports commentator second. You know, he his um, his background was in reporting and writing and journalism. So when that awful day happened, Rue Narledge uh, decided on the spur of the moment to put my father in the chair, not knowing that, you know, it would be 12 or 13 hours later that the, um, you know, that the horrible tragedy would, would basically conclude. And, you know, I was with him uh, that day and you have to remember this was before CNN or Fox news or MSNBC. There were only three basic broadcast networks. And the only uh, network that was providing coverage was ABC. And I don't think any of us who were in that fairly small studio in Munich had any idea of the impact of what was going on, that the entire country was really transfixed by these live pictures of terrorists. And keep in mind, back then, you know, terrorists and terrorism was not a were not uh, terms that people used, um, and to have it kind of invade the sanctity of the Olympics and amateur sports, um, the magnitude is hard to uh, hard to overestimate now. But at the time, he was in a little studio with Rune Arledge in his ear, trying to piece together. Uh, the facts and the you know the horrible outcome that that uh, that occurred, uh, but it had an amazing effect on his career. He was always a little bit, um, I would say, conflicted because it really catapulted his career in at to a new level. But at the same time, it was just the worst possible tragedy you could possibly imagine for 
you know, the poor Israeli athletes, you know, being um, being killed. Um, but it was it was a um, kind of a turning point in international politics in that, you know, terrorism, unfortunately, became much more common after that. He did a great job and he, you know, won all sorts of awards for it. Um, but it happened on, you know, maybe the worst day in the history of sports. And I think right. I saw somewhere where Walter Cronkite reached out to your father at some point after that. He did. He wrote a, uh, when we got back to the hotel um, the following morning, and it was, you know, he'd been up for God knows how many hours, 20 hours or something in the studio for, you know, 12 or 13. And there was actually a telegram from Walter Cronkite that the front desk had saying basically that, you know, you have done your profession um, uh, very proudly today. Um, I don't remember the exact words, but it was, you know, the first recognition that my father had that, um, what he what he did that day had an enormous impact on the world. Um, that was the certainly the first indication. And then when we got back home, there were, um, you know, multiple canvas bags of mail that people had sent to uh, ABC, you know, thanking him for the sensitivity and the reporting that he had done on that terrible day. Well, moving forward, you know, I'm as rabid a sports nut and I do love the best events in sports, in my opinion, and I'm not pandering to you, you know, I've told you this before, the Masters is the greatest sporting event because every year it gets more spectacular and you got to help me understand why is that? You know, Bob, um, a couple of reasons. One, it's at the same venue every year. Um, it's obviously the only major that is. And the memories, and you can go back to Palmer and Nicholas and Player, um, and then, you know, go a little bit later, and you've got, you know, Norman and Faldo, and it just... The, the majesty of it and the beauty of it is really hard to capture on television. It um, You've been there and uh, it's just the most beautiful place on earth. The drama is always amazing. Um, you, you, I, I, I've maintained a number of times that uh, when the, when the uh, last group walks from the ninth green to the 10th tee, and the leader almost always happens to be in the last group, and you watch them walk to the 10T, you know something incredible is going to happen. And we can all recount a couple of dozen. You know, I, I think of the 10th T, and I think of uh, I think of Rory, who had uh, the tournament in his command, basically, you know, duck hooking it to the to the left. You know, I think of Bubba. Uh, Watson um, in the playoff when he hit that drive way, way right in the trees and hit the most incredible escape shot. Or you think 11 of Larry Mize and Greg Norman. It's just that we all have so many memories and they're just indelible because of the beauty of the telecast. And, you know, it happens 
sort of at the unofficial end of winter and beginning of spring. So we all look at our golf clubs, um, you know, in the garage or in the mudroom and realize we're going to start using them again. Um, so it's just it's a combination of all those all those factors. Um, and, you know, men and women sit there and they realize that golf season is pretty close now. And uh, it's uh, it's I, I hate to say it, but it is a tradition unlike any other. And it's also uh, a sporting event unlike any other. Um, and it's, you know, you, you again, we all have dozens of memories. And when you think of, you know, Tiger's historic win in 1997 and then, you know, 22 years later, 2019, um, you know, you just think about uh, the, those moments and they're just indelibly engraved in our minds. You were you were before Norman and um, Faldo, who played about the same time in the same era, and you were to place a dollar bet. You'd have, would, would you have ever bet that Faldo was going to win more Masters than Greg Norman? No, I would not. Um, and more majors than Greg Norman also. No, I mean, Greg, you know, there was that year where uh, I believe he led all four majors on Saturday night and, you know, couldn't close the deal. Um, so, no, I mean, Greg, uh, uh, it's it's amazing that Greg only won the two, uh, you know, two major championships that he did based on his talent and based on the fact that he was always, it seemed like always in contention at the Masters and then figured out ways to not close the deal. Dave, this putt down the hill, uh, what about this one? You wouldn't care to name the odds on getting this in one, would you? No, thank you. Plus, uh, he's got to try not to make six. Yeah. I mean, the it, dilemma here, are you want to make it, obviously, is you want to make all of them. But if he gives it a wrap, Peter, it's going to go five or six feet back. Not bad looking putt, though, is it? Can you believe it? Do you think that some things are fate and some things are meant to be because you can't do any better than that? That is almost awesome and godlike. Fuzzy, he may think he's made a birdie. I don't know what Fuzzy thinks. He'll I, I doubt that, sick. seriously, Peter. Uh, but uh, would you like to go over the three fours that man just made <laughs> at 16, 17, no. 18? You can't make one four out of the three. No. I think it's just incredible. And that, when you try and explain to non-golfers what this game's all about and how it can change, it, it's seemingly such a passive game. He surrenders. He <laughs> but I mean, listen, he was great for the game and, and he was the white shark. And, you know, a little bit like Phil, the fact that he won and lost in such dramatic fashion made him and Phil that much, that much more um fascinating to watch because you didn't know it was going to happen and you know the best example of that happened right behind your uh your left shoulder on 18 at winged foot when you know when phil if he'd hit a couple of five irons and a wedge and two putted he would have won the tournament instead of which despite um his as I understand it, his caddy bones having his hand on the driver, 
Phil picked up the driver and hit it into the hospitality tent on, on the left side and the rest is history. But, you know, that's why part of the reason why Norman and, and Phil were, you know, so beloved was because of the victory or crash and burn that you kind the of agony and defeat happen. your father used to say right yeah exactly and that's good for broadcasters because it's no good if everybody shoots 61 every day where's the fun in that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly how elevated has your tv game gotten over just the last five years with all these new things like drones and whatnot well, the, the the coverage continues to evolve. Um, if you were to put in a, um, you know, a DVD or looked at it online of the Masters, even 10 years ago, you wouldn't recognize the coverage. I mean, whether it's drones or fly cams or different um, camera placements, obviously eight full 18 hole coverage now. Uh, the audio that we have picking up players, you know, talking to each other and talking to their caddies, the, um, you know, the tracing technology that shows you precisely to the yard, actually to the foot of where the ball is going. So you can see how the, you know, how the player is shaping the shot, um, you know, the virtual reality on the right that shows you the exact path of the ball from an overhead animated view. I mean, the technology is just, it's amazing. And I'm proud to say that we've really been on the forefront of that. You know, we were the first ever to uh, do television coverage at the Masters. We were the first ever to do a, a golf telecast in color, um, in 3D, um, in HD. Uh, we're the first to use drones the way they're being used right now. And, you know, you used to, up until three or four years ago, other than the, you know, the flyovers we did with the helicopter of the individual holes at Augusta, you never saw the course um, from an aerial view. And, um, you know, there obviously is there, there's no blimp there. But when we instituted the uh, the drones and you saw, you know, Ray's Creek and Hogan Bridge and you know, all the different views, you know, the incredible um, uh, patrons lining the that hill by the 16th hole. People have never seen that before. And I got so many comments that and from the, you know, from the, the people who run the Masters also that these views are spectacular and really further amplify the beauty that is Augusta National. So technology and it keeps getting better, uh, better and better. Um, but I think golf is at a uh, both what we do and what obviously NBC does uh, with all their tournaments and the Thursday, Friday coverage, you know, mostly on Golf Channel and some on ESPN. I think the quality of coverage is better than it's ever been. And it's going to keep getting better the more we learn. How do you think Dan Hicks is going to oh, do with Kevin um, Kisner? I haven't seen Kevin a lot, but I'm sure he'll do a good job. Dan, you know, he's a fellow Wingfoot member. I played a lot of golf with him. Uh, he's a, a terrific um, uh, golf host and commentator. I think they'll be good. You know, any, anybody, it's like Jim Nance. You put anybody sitting next to Jim Nance or Dan Hicks, you're going to get a good product. Um, they're professional 
they're unselfish. So I think they'll be terrific together. I look, you know, I look forward to uh, to listening to them. So talking about the game of golf, and you work for, in my opinion, one of the heroes of golf in modern day sports, Mark McCormick. Mark McCormick were alive today. How would he navigate what's going on in golf today? You know, it's a good question. A um, couple things. One, Mark was the first, well, he was the first sports marketer in the world, basically, um, who did this as a full-time um, job and built uh, built IMG as he did. Uh, he was very international in his approach. He was the first U.S. Uh, marketing agent to understand the power of the international market. Um, he understood that Arnold Palmer could be almost as big in Japan as he was in the United States. And he realized that Gary Player and Jack Nicklaus's appeal were worldwide also. So I think he would take a very international view uh, on what's going on. Uh, Mark had a great appreciation for the history and the tradition of the game of golf. So I think he would be very um, interested in protecting that legacy. Um, he was very protective of his clients. You know, you mentioned, you know, Arnold, or I mentioned Arnold and Gary and Jack, and then, you know, later on so many others, including Norman and Falda. You know, I think he would would look out for his clients. And I think, you know, Mark was also really about the long view and I think if he saw an opportunity for a quick buck um, from, you know, a sponsor um, or an advertiser, which wouldn't reflect well on one of his clients, he would turn it down. He really protected their image and protected their uh, their stature um, and took the, you know, not months or years, but really decades approach to how he um, how he served his clients and how he protected the integrity of the game. Yeah, Mark was a, definitely a facilitator and, you know, took different groups who might not always agree um, and got them together talking. And, you know, Mark also understood that if a deal is going to be good, it has to be good for both parties. And, you know, he didn't scrounge for the last penny in a negotiation. He often felt that if he could leave something on the table, you know, that would serve him and his clients um, very well in future years. So he was a really a futurist before the term really was, was being used by people. I'd like to ask this question before I ask you about Wingfoot in general. If you had a sizable bet and you got to choose, you can't choose three East. Of the seven remaining par threes at Wingfoot, and you have to make a par for a sizable, meaningful bet, which hole at Wingfoot would you choose to make that par or better? Uh, I think they're all challenging. Did you say I couldn't say um, three, uh, three West? No, three West you can choose. Three East is taken. Oh, three, three East. Okay. Um, yeah, I would probably say, now that I think about it, three West, you know, I hit a fade. Um, so I usually started out to the left and kind of run it up the chute there. Um, so I would, uh, I would, I would say I'm, I'm picking three West. Great. Now you've been around more than most of us. Um, had this conversation with Steve Rabideau. I said, have you seen a property with 36 better holes in your life? He said, 
He said, no, not in this country. What about you? Yeah, I, um, I'm not totally objective because I loved Wingfoot so much. But um, yeah, I would say the combination of uh, the tradition it has in major championships, um, obviously primarily on the, on the West Course, but the uh, the layout um, and what they've done to the course, you know, in the last couple of decades, whether it's you know taking out the um, uh, uh, many, if not most, of the trees, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a great great club. And what I particularly like about it also is the membership. Um, pretty much across the board, serious golfers, but don't take themselves too seriously and really enjoy the, uh, enjoy the game. And a, you know, a $20 closeout is every bit as significant and nerve wracking as a, you know, thousand dollar Nassau at an, at another club. So, you know, I think if you, and, and the thing is both courses are different um, I find the West more difficult, but that isn't uh, that isn't always the prevailing view. Um, but if you think of, you know, every hole, you think of the par threes that you mentioned. Um, I mean, just think of, you know, the, the, the pin placement when it's back left on 10 West, where it is for the final day for the U.S. Open. You know, try to find, a, you know, a better par three in the world um, than that. Um, so I, I have great affection for winged foot. Um, uh, I prefer, as I said, even though it's more difficult, I prefer the West course just cause I feel for some reason, I feel more comfortable there until I get into the rough. Um, you know, the caddy program is phenomenal. Um, you know, the young men and now women who are caddies are knowledgeable. Um, they're as helpful as you want them to be. Uh, so I just when I drive through those gates, uh, whether I'm playing east or west, it's uh, it's like heaven for me. I uh, I absolutely love the uh, love everything about the club. And when, you know, when people ask me, um, you know, all over the country and sometimes all over the world, you know, where do you play golf at home? And I say winged foot. Um, you get the same thing, Bob. The reaction you get is basically one of recognition of how fortunate we are to call that our home club. Everybody has the same reaction. And usually the next question is, when can we play? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody, you know, who's a guest for the first time wants to play the West course, certainly understand that. And yes, the question from a new guest, when they get to the 18th tee, show me where Phil hit it. Um, you know, and then you look at, you know, the amazing thing is you look at, you know, some of the holes and then you look at the um, uh, the major championship tees and the tips and you think it's just a different game. I mean, it's it's just a, a different game than we play. Nine uh, ones. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I um, I'm very, very fond of uh, of my home club. I think it's uh, it's a treat every single time I go there. And the, you know, the, the staff is great also, you know, right. Zona and, and Kevin have everything tighter than a drum. And I can't think of a better club in America. We were all kind of surprised by your, your retirement. I don't, I don't think you're going to retire. 
because you're too much of a thinker and too many great ideas left in that head of yours. But let's say in April, you're going to go out and play golf. Now, who you, or, or you're just going to have one more round of golf to play. Let's say it's at Wingfoot. Who are you going to invite to play golf with you? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I was really lucky to play once with Arnold um, at National Golf Links, um, an outing that a friend of mine was a man who used to run PNC, a guy named Jim Rohr. Sure. Uh, member Best of Augusta. friends with Palmer. Yeah, very good friends. And he invited like, you know, 12 folks to go out to National, have dinner, um, stay in the um, in the clubhouse and those rooms upstairs. And we got down for the um, in the morning for breakfast and they had the pairings and I was with uh, Arnold Palmer. Um, so needless to say, I was shaking on the first tee, but it had just the most amazing round. And it was like playing with your favorite uncle. I mean, he had story after story. Um, you know, he gave everybody on the first tee little umbrella pins, which we all put into our um you know, into our jackets. And he was great. So I would say Arnold would be in that. Uh, my father certainly would be in it um, just because we played so much golf together, both in um, in Connecticut and Baltimore and then down in Florida. Um, and my dad knew Arnold. Arnold loved my dad. So the two of them would get along um, incredibly, incredibly well. Probably a fellow who's a member at Winged Foot also, who you know, uh, Tony Petiti, who is now the commissioner of the Big Ten. Um, you know, he's my best friend, love playing golf with him. Um, so I would say I would say probably Tony would round out the uh, the foursome man named Peter Lund, who is also a member of um, Winged Foot, who is the man who hired me in 1996, um, way That's back in the day. Uh, Peter is a dear friend. Uh, I might play as a, um, um, as a fivesome on that You're day. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we can exactly. We rules for Peter Lund. Yeah. But, you know, you talk about, you know, retirement. Uh, I'll, I'll have been at uh, CBS Sports more than 27 years. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, I have a number two named Dave Burson, also an avid golfer who's been president of the division for over a decade. He's ready and I'm ready. Um, I'm sure I'll be busy. I'm not going to work full time again. But, um, you know, if there's something in the world of golf that I could contribute to, would love to do that. If there are a couple of boards, public companies. So I, I think I'll be as busy as I want to be say since the kind of the the general overall theme here obviously is about golf that i am amazed almost daily on what golf does for people and i can name a few dozen people who i know now really jim roar is the perfect example um you know i never would have met jim roar if it weren't for playing out in a, in a member guest at Cyprus. Um, uh, and there's so many people in my life who are now important that golf just brings people together. Four hours you spend on a golf course with your buddies um, in a beautiful location, outdoors, usually in good weather, because I'm not a very good foul weather um, um, player. 
But I mean, those moments are the best moments of the year outside of the time that I spend with my family. The most enjoyable times of my year are on the golf course. And I think a lot of us feel the same way. And, you know, my son, Jackson, actually, you know, I'm going to put, um, I'm going six. I'm going Jackson also, because I love, I love playing, love playing, uh, love playing with him. I appreciate your time. Um, You know, great Christmas and new year and holiday. And I'll see you um, hopefully if Wingfoot, if not before. Why are you laughing? Well, at least we have a laugh to add at the end. Right. We're, we've gone from 12 handicaps at this to 19 handicaps in just a week. <laughs> that, that's what happened. Somebody changed my grip, and the next thing you know, I can't do the podcast anymore. I felt like I was in the first row of the uh, first pew at church right during the sermon. <laughs> and your brother was poking my you. Brother, my brother was making me laugh. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please... Marky. Subscribe to the show, hit them hard, and hit them off. That's 36 holes. Dave, this putt down the hill, uh, what about this one? You wouldn't care to name the odds on getting this in one, would you? No, thank you. Plus, uh, he's got to try not to make six. Yeah. I mean, the dilemma here, you want to make it, obviously, you want to make all of them. But if he gives it a wrap, Peter, it's going to go five or six feet back. Not bad-looking putt, though, is it? Can you believe it? Do you think that some things are fate and some things are meant to be? Because you can't do any better than that. That is almost awesome and godlike. Fuzzy, he may think he's made a birdie. I don't know what Fuzzy thinks. He'll I, I doubt that sick. seriously, Peter. Uh, but uh, would you like to go over the three fours that man just made? At <laughs> 16, 17, well, 18? You can't make one four out of the three. No. I think it's just incredible. And that, when you try and explain to non-golfers what this game's all about and how it can change, it, it's seemingly such a passive game. He surrenders. He sur- <laughs> <laughs> that is marvelous, you see. That is something uh, that doesn't happen in too many other sports. And Greg responding, 